Hey guys, it's Kyle. Um, I'm just hopping on really quick to just introduce our episode today. I just have to say that it was one of my favorite episodes of the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast that we've ever done. I am like amped for you all to hear this. I'm talking to Dana Skaggs and she is the queen of boundaries and is an expert. Um, she's a psychotherapist and she's an expert in drawing um helping people to draw healthy boundaries. So we talk about the actionable steps that you can take to draw these healthy boundaries, how to manage anxiety, identifying and resolving avoidant behavior. We just really go there and we get deep and it's really good. So I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast. I am your host, Kyle Langan, and today I am beyond, beyond excited to chat with Dana Skaggs, a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in anxiety, adjustment issues, trauma work, and who has been called the queen of boundaries. She offers incredible resources like the Freedom of No Formula, which is an online course where she gives solution-focused tactics on how to draw healthy boundaries. And in our conversation today, we are going to be talking all about boundaries in interpersonal relationships, how to draw them, and how anxiety, trauma, and avoidance all play a part. So, Dana, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Kyle. I'm so excited. This is awesome. (laughs) So I wanted to just start off by, um, I think people kind of have heard of boundaries or know that they should draw them, but if you could just define kind of what a boundary is and why it's important. And then you can kind of get into the nitty gritty. I would love to do that. So as a therapist, that's really one of the first things that I'm listening for when I have a patient that comes to see me, they come in my office and they're like, Dana, blah, 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 all this stuff. But as I'm listening to them pour out their angst and their troubles and all this, I'm thinking in my mind, how much of what they're saying belongs to them? And I'll get into that in just a minute. And how much of what they're saying belongs to someone else. We That's got to be the first step. Otherwise, we're ignoring something that belongs to them that they really need to spend some time unpacking and focusing on. That's the good stuff. That's what they get to really work on and change. That's where the power lies. Some people don't want to focus on that stuff because they want to shift blame. They don't want to accept responsibility, but that's the good stuff. And also, We don't want to waste our time focusing on something that belongs to somebody else. It's somebody else's crap. We don't need to do anything about that. So it's just like that's one of the first things that I'm doing is calling those two things out. So I I like to think about yards because a lot of people they'll know, even people that live in, you know, large urban areas at some point or even on TV, they've seen like your typical suburban neighborhood with your yards and everything and the fences. So if you think about your yard. Think about your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. That is what is in your yard, right? So let me take just a moment and back up and say, have you ever noticed that if somebody goes to mow their yard, even if there's no fencing in sight, they know exactly where to stop mowing? Like, I mean, almost to the inch. So they're not mowing their neighbor's yard. It's like they know where the line is, even if their neighbor's grass needs mowing. Do they mow it? Probably not. No, because it's not their grass. Right. But yet how much, how much of the time do we end up in other people's yards 
lamenting and and grinding and and what ifing about what if they think this what if they feel that what they did this and they're not forgiving me and they think I'm horrible and blah 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 okay they might do all of that okay we have to just be very honest with that but boundaries is understanding where your power is and where to draw that line and if someone is going to think something if someone is not going to forgive you if somebody's going to think you're an asshole whatever they may do all of that and Okay. Right. And that's where a lot of the anxiety management comes into play is when we, number one, are not accepting responsibility for our own stuff. And or we're too much in the other person's yard. We're mm. too like hand wringing about what the other person's thinking or feeling or doing yeah. that we don't have any control over. Right. No, I love that you just said it's finding out where your power is because. Mm. It's so, um, you know, I think if you're like a people pleaser or something, it feels like you want to help the other person or, or something. But really, it's about, like you said, like discovering kind of and tapping into your own power and 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 doing what's healthy for you. So I was kind of thinking about when I was thinking of what I was going to say to you or talk to you about is I <clears throat> was thinking about the different boundaries that we draw in like three different types of interpersonal relationships. So like friendships, romantic relationships, and family. Because they're all, I feel like they're all boundaries, right? But they're maybe they're there's a little bit, they're a little bit different. So I wanted to start and talk about friendship boundaries because I think it's maybe, I think they're all hard. Every type of those three are hard to draw boundaries in but friendships are one that's maybe like the most like sneakiest or I don't know if it's the hardest I don't know which one's the hardest maybe you have an opinion about that but I just feel like with friendships um like I'll give you a personal example of myself if you don't mind so this is other examples this, this is great yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know like I first of all I, I love talking to, to therapists because um and, and psychotherapist because I am a big proponent of therapy. I've been doing it off and on for, for a few years and I've been seeing this one therapist for a number of years. And she's right now, she was like, oh, you're going through growing pains. And it's because I'm having a lot of, you know, my like friends that I've had for a long period of time, I'm noticing that like, I'm not as excited about doing the same things that we used to do anymore. So it's like, I don't wanna go out drinking every weekend to a bar or you know what I mean? And, and you're kind of like, I'm finding different like priorities and values in these friends that I've had for like nearly a decade. So, you know, I was wanting to ask you like, what, like, how do you draw boundaries with a friend without kind of sacrificing like a long held friendship? Well, you're going to find out some interesting things because as you are changing yourself, and you're like, I don't really want to go out and go to bars every weekend. I'm kind of changing as a person. I'm, I'm interested in other things. And so you can say that to your friend. Well, your friend maybe still wants to do that kind of stuff. But if you, if it's a true friend, the friend will hear you and will say, well, Kyle, I still kind of want to do that. But I hear you that you don't. So maybe we can schedule some other things. Me and you can do some things that that you enjoy, too. Okay. However, if you have a friend that tends to be more narcissistic, then that friend is going to do what he or she wants to do, regardless of what you want. Yeah. 
and there and then you what you're going to notice is the friendship is going to you're going to start feeling a little more estranged mm -hmm. and a little more detached and that won't be particularly comfortable but you have to step back and go why is this detachment happening you know the why is the friendship not growing right well your responsibility part of boundaries is speaking your thoughts and feelings because it's not someone else's job to read your mind so for example is if you're changing and you want to do something different because i know people who would continue going to the bars and stuff even though they didn't want to yeah and and then they would be then they would grow resentful but nobody even knows they don't want to be there because they didn't say they didn't want to be there so see that's what's in our yard is to speak our words in a respectful way and say, Hey guys, I, I, I know that you kind of want to keep doing this, but I'm kind of wanting to try something. Can we try this thing over here once in a while, you know, and put it out there so they know how you feel and then how they respond is going to be telling. Right. And I think it's like, it can be scary, right? If someone, because you're really, you're putting at risk, um, like the, the, a friendship that like it's you're you know even if like they don't value what you're saying right and and you realize that oh maybe they aren't like the best type of friend if they are putting pressure on me to do the things that I don't want to do and I guess how do you kind of move through the fear of like maybe I need to leave this person behind or like because on the other side of that you're going to be find a version of yourself that's more integrated and you know, because you're doing things that you want to do, but like, do you have any, I don't know, I guess, can you speak to like the fear of like drawing a boundary and then what comes next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the question becomes, what exactly are you afraid of? Mm. Right. I mean, are you afraid say, I'm afraid I'm going to lose this friend. Okay. Well, I, I could question friend. Right. You, you are going to be losing something, but maybe that was, you know, we have different chapters in our lives and anyone that's grown up and they, they go in their, their teens and their early twenties, their late twenties, their thirties, you know, and then they, if they happen to get married or have a partnership or, you know, have family or whatever, you know, there's different chapters where there's some people that are great for certain chapters of our lives, but then we move to another chapter and they don't, they don't move with us. Yeah. And there is a grieving that does happen with that. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. um, there are feelings involved when there's a grieving, but it's like, okay, what are your choices? You either, because once you put your words out there, how they respond is very important. If they go with you, then, okay, maybe they might be good for this next chapter. But if they're like, I'm not, I'm hearing you that you don't want to go to the bars every weekend, but I'm going to go anyway. Right. So their message is they're going to do what they want to do. And what you want to do doesn't really matter that much. It might matter some to them, but it doesn't matter enough. So this, what you choose at this point is really crucial because I've talked to people, unfortunately, a lot of them women, but I've talked to men as well, that they have a tendency to go along anyway even though they don't want to do that, even though they've said they don't want to do that because the other person won't, won't move with them. Mm -hmm. so they just keep doing what they don't want to do, what the other person wants to do. And they're training. And this is important. We train people how to treat us. Right. So if you go along, if you keep going along after you've said your words and your words are being ignored or they're being put way down on the totem pole of importance, 
And the behavior is telling you that. It's right in front of you. They're like, I hear you, Kyle, but I'm going to the bar. So you can either come on with this or stay at the house, but I'm going. So that behavior says, you see what I'm saying? And so if you go along, what are you training them that you're going to do? It's so true. This happened to me recently. A friend was like, oh, I want to do this birthday trip. And I was like, I don't want to go. The people that you're that, you know, are going with are not kind of who I want to surround myself with. And it was very much like, no, come like you're the reason we're going and like whatever. And so I felt like I had to go, which, you know, I didn't have to go. <laughs> and, so? and I was like, you know, I'm just worried because all the stuff's going to happen there. They're going to be, you know, belligerent or whatever. And everything that I was afraid happened, he said, he was like, happened. And he said to me, he was like, wow, everything that you were afraid of happened. Like he he said just that. And I said, like, now I have like empirical evidence to like, for the next time you invite me that I do say no, but like, I shouldn't, I should have known better not like to say no the first time, you know, to draw the boundary, like before it got to the place where, you know, like the shit hits. But you learned, you learned though. I mean, it, life is about learning. And so boundary setting is something that we're constantly having to do. If you think of it this way, sort of like a, um, an osmotic cellular membrane, like for cells to stay functioning, they have to pull in nutrients and they have to push out toxins. Mm. So they stay, they stay healthy in our body. We have to do the same thing. And it's a constant, you know, cause your life is changing and the who's in your life changes and they change cause they're going through changes. And so it's a constant moving and understanding that you're pull, pulling in things that are nutritious to you or nutrients to you. And then pushing things out that are toxic and that you have to stay very flexible with that. Yeah, no, I love that idea. That's a really good analogy and like, or example. And I guess kind of like segueing into like relationships, like a lot of like, inner, like um, romantic relationships can be toxic if you don't draw boundaries, right? And I was thinking about romantic relationships and it's like, you know, I think obviously um, drawing a boundary is an act of self love and self-preservation right yes so i think it can sometimes at least for me feel like a little bit at odds when you have to assert self-love you know when you're also part of a partnership where you are showing like selfless love all the time and kind of like the juxtaposition of that and like how do you so yeah, I, I would love to hear more about like talking about how to draw boundaries in, in romantic relationships too. Well, I noticed you said selfless love all the time. Mm -hmm. Those those interesting three words that you used. Right. Because relationships are about balance. Sometimes you're giving and sometimes you're receiving. Yeah. And that's what healthy relationships are like. They just kind of flow like this, you know, and you're aware of one another and you're aware of each other's needs and you're aware of each other's differences and you're you're trying to be there for each other. Sometimes you sacrifice things that you want for the other person. Sometimes they sacrifice things they want for you. And it just kind of goes back and forth. The problem comes when you end up in a relationship with someone who is rather manipulative or self-absorbed slash narcissistic and they kind of want what they want almost all the time um 
if you have the unpleasant experience of being around a narcissist, what that's like is they view people not as having their own wants and desires and needs, but they view people as tools to get what they want. Mm -hmm. And so if you happen to be in a relationship with a narcissist at any point along the way, any listeners, you know, Um, at first you don't realize it because narcissists by nature are rather manipulative and quite charming. Mm. But as the relationship continues, you start noticing that you are not equally represented in the relationship. It tends to be more and more and more just of, of that person. And you find yourself sacrificing what you want to do for that person more and more and if you if you do like what i call a table turning if you ask yourself if the situation were reversed how would my partner feel about that yeah and if and if 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 your partner would be fine then that's good that's that's doing this way you know but if like your partner's asking you to do all kinds of things that he or she would not do then over time that can be a problem and that's when you have to start setting a boundary like i'm happy to do this and this and this for you. But then I'm going to draw a line because I need, like you said, I need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do the rest of this. So if you need someone to do the rest of these things with you or for you, then you're going to need to find someone else because I'm happy to do these three, but I can't do the rest. And that's where you're drawing the line of yeah. where you can be helpful to someone else, but you also have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And you know, I think you were just talking about narcissism, and I think I read that you have um, experience with dealing with like a narcissistic parent, right? <clears throat> and I guess, do you, how did, I guess, how did you draw a boundary there? Or how do people, how do people cope with that kind of a thing? You know, is it different kind of, or is there any specific example, like situations or examples that you might be able to talk about or anything? Yes. Um yeah, this is a hard one. The The family relationships are, they're rough mm-hmm. because they're, the expectations are that you will tolerate whatever is put out there um, and just suck it up and it move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're family, we're blood, mm-hmm. and you have to just take whatever I'm going to do. And I've talked to a lot of people that they were in that same situation. Uh, from a parent usually and the thing of it is you have got to keep your wheels on and if your relationship with that parent is pulling your wheels off to where you can't keep your life together you're not a good partner anymore you're not a good parent anymore you're not a good employee anymore because of everything that's happening in that relationship then you it is a responsibility for you to set a boundary And again, to kind of get back to what I said a few moments ago, you can even say to that parent, you know, I'm happy to do this and this and this to be there for you and to support you and help you. But if you go, if if you go beyond that, that person's not me. Mm -hmm. And we have a right to, to set that line. Um, And if you happen to have any, um, listeners because we there's a lot of different faiths like when I, i'm on my podcast phoenix and flame and we 
I love to really talk to lots of different types of people and honor where people are walking on their different spiritual paths. My spiritual path happens to be Christianity. I know there's a lot of people who are, depending on what their spiritual path is, it's like they feel like they can't set a line, that if if they draw a line, then they're a bad person. Right. And I actually got that advice. I would love to take credit for it, but I cannot because I actually got that advice from a pastor from years and years ago that I went and talked to my pastor because I was like, I feel like a crap daughter. Yeah. I feel like I'm not, this is terrible. I don't know what to do because in order for me to be a good daughter, I would have to just jump into the big black, what I call the sucking black vortex of need. (laughs) I love that. I would have to just jump in and just be sucked into nothingness. Right. And I was going to him and I said, I, what, this is not, this can't be okay. And he said, Dana, calm down. He said, look, you do three things. You identify three things that you're happy to do and you'll do for your mother. You do those things and you do those with a cheerful heart, draw your line. And if she needs something beyond that, because of the pathology that she is creating, Mm -hmm. that's in her yard, by the way, then she's going to have to go somewhere else to deal with the, the consequences that she is creating by her behavioral choices. Right. Does this make sense? Yeah. And so I think like, you know, the things like not that there's any hard and faster, like, you know, easy, easy boundaries to draw, but like as a quick like tip or something like creating like in every relationship where you think that there could be a boundary issue or that is feels like stressful to you have your three things that you're going to do, like always just be like, I can do this, this and this, like you said, and um and yeah, I just think that's like a, a powerful takeaway to just kind of be like, these are the, these are my things, my, my non-negotiables. Cause every relationship is um, a compromise. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not going to want to yeah. do things you don't want to do. And, and the person is going to do the same for you. So I think just having those like, like numbering three things, I think it's like listing is always an easy thing to <laughs> remember. So having those things, I think in, the, in your back pocket is just a great, um, a great strategy to have. Well, it, it keeps you from getting resentful yeah. because you want to be able to do these things for your person, whether it's a family member or a romantic interest or a friend, you want to be able to do these things with a, with a, a pleasant headspace. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you, but if you, if you let them draw the line instead of you drawing the line, then you don't have a pleasant headspace anymore because they they're pulling and they're demanding and they're tugging and they're pulling. And you feel like if you're a people pleaser, you feel like you constantly have to do everything they're asking you to do, or they're going to get upset or they're not going to like you, or they're going to be unhappy. Yeah. People pleasers attach their happiness with the other person's happiness. Right. So if the other person's not happy, then they can't be happy. So they're constantly having to do and do and do and do and do to get this other person happy. That is a classic boundary breach. The other person's happiness belongs to them. Mm. And so when you set those three things, you can do those three things with a with a glad and happy heart because you know you have the power to draw the line after the third thing. 
and say, I'm more than willing. I would love to do these three things to support you and to help you. But if you are creating a scenario where you need more things because of your behavioral choices, then you're going to need to find someone else to help you with those consequences because that person is not going to be me. I happily did the first three. That's it. Don't worry. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, so if you're like me, you love to entertain, and with the holidays right around the corner, I'm already thinking about what I should be making. Um, when my brother, Sean, came to visit me last in LA, I made them this next-level delicious pasta from a company called Wild Grain, and it tasted just as good as our Italian grandmother's handmade pasta. Seriously. Wild Grain is the first bake-from-frozen box for artisanal bread, pasta, and pastries, and I love it because they only use clean ingredients like unbleached flour and non-GMO flour and a slow sourdough fermentation process so it tastes way better than anything you're going to get in a grocery store. Trust me. This holiday season, Wild Grain is featuring delicious new limited-time sweet treats like pumpkin cinnamon rolls, orange cranberry biscuits, and chocolate avalanche croissants, which are going to be my favorite, I can already tell. All you have to do to get these is sign up at wildgrain.com slash Kyle and choose which type of box you want to receive and how often. It's easy to reschedule, skip, or cancel too. So if you're hungry already, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash Kyle to start your subscription. You heard me? Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash Kyle. That's wildgrain.com slash Kyle. Or you can use promo code Kyle at checkout. So what happens when you do your three things and it's still not enough? And like, when do you kind of like call it, like call the relationship and be like, whether it's a romantic or friend or family member, like do you like I guess there's not an objective like breaking point because that's dependent on the person in the situation but like how do you know when you're done mm -hmm. that's an excellent question Kyle so will they listen to you so if you say I'll be happy to do these three things to help you and support you if they listen to you and then they they accept those three things that you're doing and then they're always going to have more stuff but they go find someone else, like you suggested, to help them with these other things, then you can still have a good relationship. However, if they ignore you and they think you're going to keep doing more, that they, you know, if they keep pushing, if they keep fussing, if they keep pressing, if they keep manipulating, gaslighting, that you're going to keep doing all the stuff even though you said no after three, because keep in mind, we train people what to expect from us. So if you trained that person that they're pushing and cajoling with, is going to get you to do more than those three things, then naturally they're going to keep doing it because you trained them that you would. Right. So if you're going to stop that, then you stop after the three and you're like a metronome. Right. You keep saying the same things. I'm happy to do these three things. If you need something done after these three, you need to go to someone else. And you just keep setting the boundary in like a metronome. And eventually, they're going to get it. If they don't, if they keep griping and fussing and coming at you, and, and usually when this happens, they're going to be coming with some vitriol. They're going to be coming with 
criticism. They're going to manipulate, try to manipulate you. They're going to try to gaslight you. So that make you think something's wrong with you, make you second guess your choices. Like you're not being a good friend. You know, what was I thinking? I should be doing what they want me to do. When that happens, then you can say, I, I don't think that we're going to, I don't see myself hanging out with you much. Yeah. You yeah. know, you can like draw that line and say, I'm not, I'm not feeling this relationship anymore. Right. And you have all of the data to back up why, right? It's yes. like, you come to me after I've said, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Yes. It's not just, yeah, coming out of the blue. Um, sure. Yeah. That's, I, I love that you said that to the, um, the, you train people how to treat you. It's just like, yeah. it's like the golden, like, not, you know what I mean? It's just so, so important. And, and it's so, you know, we do it so subconsciously, you know what I mean? Yes. yes. Um, and I think it really kind of makes you take inventory of, like, I'm taking inventory of all of my relationships right now. Just being like, oh, what am I, did I, you know, should I have done that? Or am I being too, you know, giving with this person or whatever? Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good thing to remember for, for our listeners. Um, so let's say, right, like a people pleaser using this example is having trouble drawing boundaries, even if you don't classify like yourself as a, as a people pleaser, but you're recognizing some of the behaviors that we're talking about, like why, like, you know, everything or, um, you know, it's from your childhood, right? <laughs> everything is because of what you were, as, how you were raised as a kid. So, or what happens when you're a kid. So what is the correlation between like a trauma, like whether that's in your childhood or not, and the inability to draw a boundary, for example? Like why, you know, is, is it because of that we're having trauma or having a hard time doing this? Hmm. Well, a couple of things are coming to my mind. Um, so one of them is if we have, if we're trying to get a need met because we don't know how to meet it ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes we're trying to get it met through the other person, whether it's uh, we want approval. We want someone to say, you're a good person. We want someone to treat us like we matter. We want to make sure we don't get abandoned. That's huge. Mm. I hear that so much because that's at the bottom of, of a lot of stuff. If somebody's afraid they're going to be rejected, they don't want to be criticized. Why? Because I'm afraid that they're going to reject me. And what happens then? Then I'm going to be abandoned. Right. Then I'm going to be left all alone. And that's that goes back to a lot of the childhood needs and that kind of stuff. Ultimately, sometimes with people, once they realize that they can function, they may not enjoy it for a while, but they can function independently. That gives them so much power. Because then they go into a relationship and instead of trying to get all their needs met through these other people, and it's not, it's not your neighbor's responsibility to meet your needs. Right. Those are your needs. It's your responsibility to meet them. And likewise, your neighbors, it's not your responsibility to fulfill all the gaps that were created when they were growing up. Right. So it's kind of like you can love one another and you can help each other to a point. But sometimes our traumas are larger. Now I'm going to give you a an interesting thing that I use in therapy. Um, do we have a few minutes left? Yeah. Okay. So I call it the boardroom. So imagine if you have a boardroom in your head. 
and you are supposed to be the CEO. And I'll get back to supposed to be here in just a minute. So down the sides of the boardroom table are all the different parts of you. Now, I'm not talking about dissociative identity disorder, okay, which used to be multiple personality. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all of us have different parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have younger parts. And a lot of times these parts were traumatized. And all of these parts live in their own time capsule. Okay, they don't, that part of our brain, that emotional part of our brain doesn't understand the passage of time. We're talking about the amygdala and the hippocampus. That if I were to take a pin and put it in my eye and one in my ear and push where they would meet in the middle of my brain, that's where it resides. Mm. And it holds the emotional part of our brain. It holds our trauma. And those parts of us, however old we were when we went through these traumas, it doesn't understand the passage of time. So let me give you an example. Um, There was a guy who every time he tried to do something new at work, he froze up and he couldn't try anything new. And he was he lost promotions and he was about to lose his job. So he went to a therapist. Well, initially they thought, well, maybe it's just um, he doesn't know how to speak in public. You know, maybe he just needs to go to Toastmasters or learn some assertiveness skills or something like that. He did all that stuff. None of it mattered he would still go and freeze up. Come to find out what happened was he had a younger traumatized part that I call in the boardroom. That's how I, that's the analogy I like to use because there's a clear place of power in the boardroom. There's a seat of power, the one who's in charge. So come to find out he had a traumatized part that had his dad's voice that was saying to him, you're too stupid. You can't try new things. You are going to embarrass yourself and you are going to embarrass our family. Don't try to do anything new that's above your head. You can't do it. You're going to be so embarrassed. Just stick with what you know. And so he kept hearing that he didn't realize it because it was kind of a subconscious thing going on, but he kept hearing that voice. So anytime he was asked to try something new at work, he would freeze up. So once he was able to recognize that he had that part of himself that I call in the boardroom, and we're talking about internal family systems. I'm not going to get into all of that stuff, but it's lovely. It's quite amazing. But when he realized that, he was able to kind of manage that part of himself. When he when he started to try something, he would hear that voice and he would look, he would he would close his eyes and visualize the boardroom. He would visualize that younger part of himself. He would visualize he's in the CEO chair Mm -hmm. and he would speak to that part of himself and he would say, I know you're scared and I know you're trying to protect us. I know that you think you're protecting us by keeping us safe, by not trying something new because you think we're going to embarrass ourselves. Okay, I get that. But trust me, just sit down and he you can imagine anything. You can imagine the secretary brings in hot chocolate and cookies. You can imagine a warm blanket. I've got all kinds of examples of this stuff. Imagine anything that comes in to calm that part. So that part of himself is calmed down, wrapped up in a warm blanket, drinking hot chocolate. Okay. And he said, just trust me. I want to try something new. So he did. And he was fabulous at it. Wow. And he got promoted. And see, what happens is these these traumatized parts of ourselves, they do not respond to logic. So you cannot explain things logically. It doesn't matter. 
It's like you're talking Russian. But here's what they do respond to. They do respond to visualization mm -hmm. and also to experience. So when he was able to experience doing something new, and not only did he not fail, but he was giving accolades and pats on the back and a promotion, then that traumatized part goes, huh? Yeah. Well, who knew? Right. And then that traumatized part goes, okay, then I'm good. Right. I'm good. You showed me, you showed me that we're okay with that. So I'm calm now. So see, that's, that's how, that's how come an answer to your question, why sometimes we're doing this, this thing that we don't understand why this people pleasing thing or the, some kind of behavior that we're, it's, it's triggered. We get that, that younger part of ourselves gets triggered and kind of comes up and shoves us out of the CEO chair. Yeah. And then we're not in charge anymore. It's that traumatized part that's in charge of our behavior. Does this make sense? Yeah. That's a great example. You know, the, the visualization of the of the boardroom and the different facets of who we are. Yeah, that's really, I think that's great. <laughs> no, and, and I think it, um, yeah, and those are, it's practical advice too on how to comfort that part of yourself that is that has been traumatized in the past. I know that you also specialize in avoidant behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I would say that I am the opposite of avoidant, probably to like a, an extreme, like I probably am too expressive, <laughs> right? But, you know, I, I'm, whatever kind of relationships that I'm in, friendships or whatever, like I see people being avoidant and it's like so triggering for me because I'm like, we just have to talk about this. <laughs> yes, yes. So I just wanted to say like, you know, like um, how people can, I don't know what the question is really. I guess I, I was going to say like how to like identify your own avoidance or like, or, but I guess maybe just, I'd love to hear what your perspective is on how it relates to drawing boundaries and avoidance. And like, you know, if someone is wondering how they can be less avoidant, I don't know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean. I, well, I've got several things I can toss out that might be helpful. Yeah. But a question that we were talking about earlier was what exactly are you afraid of? Mm, right. So if someone is avoiding something, then right. they are afraid of something and they may not have taken the time to identify specifically what are they afraid of? Yeah. Because if we can identify that, then you can figure out what where to go from there. And for example, if somebody says, well, now that I sit and think about it, I've had people say, I, well, and let me back up and say, lots of times when people are avoiding, they use other things to avoid, uh, like tools, like they will uh, be workaholics mm -hmm. or they will use um, alcohol or some kind of a substance to avoid thinking or feeling. Right. Okay, They have feelings or thoughts that are uncomfortable to them. And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just pushes it down. Some people use gambling. Some people use shopping. Some people use sex. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that people use. And what are they doing with all of these things? Like you just did. They're trying to push down. They're trying to push away 
What is it that they're trying to push away? Particular thoughts or particular feelings. Mm -hmm. Our power is when we actually sit with our feelings and thoughts and we sit in the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is uncomfortable, but you know what? Your arms and legs are not going to shoot off. (laughs) Your your teeth are not going to fall out. Your eyeballs are not going to come out on stalks. I mean, yes, you're uncomfortable. But sit with it, hold it, yeah. and, and feel it. That That's where your power comes. Because when I was mentioning boundaries before in my family, there were quite a few times where I set my boundaries and I was attacked verbally and emotionally, never physically, no, never physically, but I was attacked physically, uh, not verbally and emotionally, and I was like called names and and faces made at me, just people buried their teeth at me. And I was like, whoa. So I had these feelings like, am I this horrible, unforgiving, awful, unkind person that I'm being accused of being? Yeah. Okay. Rather than run away from that stuff, because it's always going to chase you. It's always going to chase you. I call it the monster breath on your back. Right. You, it's like the monster breath. You feel it on the back of your neck. Right. And you're always going to feel it until you dig your heels in the ground and whip around and grab the monster by the ears and pull it in and go, what do you have? Right. You know? So I, I would pull in those feelings and I would sit and remember the person that said, you're unforgiving, you're unkind, you're a bitch, you're hateful, you're this or that. And I would I would remember it and I would pull it in. I would feel all the feelings and I would sit and think, huh, this is interesting. Do I agree with what they're saying? Do I agree? Are they right? Do I say, because it's me we're talking about here. So do I agree that I am unforgiving, that I'm unkind, that I'm hateful, that I'm a bitch. Although I will say I can be a bitch, but I'm that's a side issue. So, <laughs> but so it's like that, that is the inverse of avoidance. Right. Because as long as you're avoidant, you're giving whatever it is that's chasing you, whatever monster that is that you're running away from, you're give as long as you're running, you're giving it power. Right. And what's that phrase like? What 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 you resist persists, right? If you don't dive into it, like it's always going to be the monster's always going to be chasing you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's and, that's just. No, go ahead. Well, I mean, I was just saying that's exactly you have to you have to stop and feel it, and face it, and then make your decisions. Right. For example, if you just if I decided, well, I, I think I kind of am unforgiving. All right. Then I didn't decide that, by the way. But if I had decided that, then because we're humans, right? We're imperfect. That we go out in our yards that I mentioned earlier, and you're going to find imperfect things in your yard because you are not a perfect person. That's okay. You can pick up that thing and you can go, you know what? Hmm. This is something about myself that I would like to work on, Mm -hmm. that I think needs some work. I would like to change that about myself because I'm choosing, not because someone else is telling me, but because I'm choosing. And then we can work on that if we want to. We're not trying to be perfect. Right. And like there's, I I think that he's a psychologist, Dr. Gabor Matei. Is that, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a Canadian Mm -hmm. 
doctor. But um, he was saying that like, when you go to just on the topic of like dealing with your avoidant behavior or, or like facing the thing, right? It's like, it's gonna be uncomfortable whether you're running or whether you're sitting in it. But at least when you're sitting in it, the outcome is that you're getting to like the good stuff and you're gonna be better on the other end. So would you yeah. rather uncomfortable running or uncomfortable sitting in it because yes. there's a way out to one of them. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And and plus when you're running, you're usually using other things to run. Right. You know, and these other things almost always create more problems. Right. Like, right. Then you have your original problem. And then plus you have all these other problems because okay. you're 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 gambling and you don't have any money left or you've got venereal disease because you're having sex all over the place or you don't right. or you you know it's just like it's just it goes on and on or you might might end up with a divorce because you're a workaholic because you don't want to sit in your own thoughts and feelings about something you're never ever home and so you end up in a divorce or your partnership is gone and then now you have that on top of your original problem that yeah. avoidance is not a good choice right <laughs> um and i wanted to i want to talk about your course too but right really quickly i want to just touch on anxiety because it's something that i think it's definitely something that has increased like over the past like decade i think definitely like social media is a huge contributor to that i think you know there's a lot of things but i mean definitely that one um and i also think people like even like younger generations i'll i'll observe and i'm not or a psychologist, so I don't know, but like people are maybe overusing the word anxiety sometimes when it's not really clinical anxiety. And uh, I just wanted to see like if you could offer like a couple just solutions on how to manage anxiety, because I think depending on what degree you feel like you have it, like it's always good to have tips on how to lessen it. That is true. And I do want to absolutely corroborate what you said. I think some people, they're like, well, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. They don't do anything about it. It's almost they want to use that as an excuse. Right. Well, I'm anxious. Well, I'm anxious today. Well, I'm just anxious. Okay. And? So am I. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, like, and what? You know, but it's not, it's not to be used like as an excuse, like some kind of across the board. But let me just give you a few easy things that that my patients have found really helpful. First of all, I'm a huge believer in mindfulness. Mm. Huge believer in mindfulness. Mindfulness basically brings you into the moment. Right. Nothing else exists except right now. Because what has happened five minutes ago is gone. Yeah. What may happen five minutes from now, we don't know. Okay. Right. And Kyle, I would like to think that you and I are both going to be alive five minutes from now, but neither one of us can promise the other that we will. <laughs> so truthfully, using mindfulness, the only thing that exists, for example, for you and me right now, is this. Me looking at you and you looking at me and us talking and hearing one another, that is the only reality, the only thing. There is no other thing. Right now, is there? There is no other thing. It doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of my life. All of that does not exist right now. Only thing that exists is you and me. That's mindfulness. Now, a way that we can help ourselves stay in the now, in, to, in the moment, 
is a is a, a technique I like to call five, four, three, two, one. And I didn't make this up, but I've read it in a lot of I, I read a lot. And it's amazing because it works. I love things that are practical and that work. Right. So basically, we're talking about your five senses. So no matter where you are, and you might you can change the senses around, but if you're eating a meal, that's fabulous because you can hit all five of those senses. Okay. Mm. Sometimes you can't get taste. All right. Then double up on another sense. But here's how it goes. Five things you can see. And if you can say it out loud, that works better because your brain hears your voice and focuses on your voice rather than some errant thought that it wants to go off and wander around somewhere. Nat, <laughs> get right here. Okay. Five things you can see. Like, you know, right now, just looking around, I can see you. I can see the mirror on the wall behind you. I can see a door. I can see your shirt. I can see a gold necklace you're wearing. Those are five things. Mm -hmm. Four things you can hear. Three things you can touch. Two things you can smell. And one thing you can taste. And again, you can move these around. Yeah. Touch is a good one because you can reach out and touch about anything. Yeah. But during that time that you're sitting here identifying five, four, three, two, one, guess what you're not doing? Stressing about the future or the past. Or yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. You have let go of that and you have allowed yourself to use your senses to sink into the moment because that is the only reality that you have. There is nothing else. There, There's a book... Um, Eckhart Tolle wrote um, that is fabulous. And I have it on my shelf in there, The Power of Now. Right. And I love the way he allowed people to write in and, and ask questions and challenge the things that he was saying, because he was saying, you know, do you ever have a problem? Do you have a problem right now? Do you have a problem right now? And they would say, well, no, not right now. He says, well, right now is the only thing there ever is. And one person wrote in and said, well, if I was in a car wreck, I'd have a problem. And he's like, okay, well, imagine if you're in a car wreck and you're in the car, you're in that moment. What are you doing? Do you have a problem? What are you doing? Like, well, I'm calling 911. Okay. You're, you're calling 911. Okay. Right. You're, you're addressing, you're being solution focused, but you're in the moment. That's that can reduce so, so much anxiety because anxiety is never about right now. Mm. Yeah, it's never, never. No, no. <laughs> you just hearing you talk about mindfulness is just, it was like very affirming and very um, comforting. So I think that I appreciate that. That's that, that's those the five things is great. The five senses. Yeah. Um. I want to keep you here all day. I just want to mention, I know that you have um, an online course, which is called, I mentioned it earlier. Oh, the 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 freedom of no formula. So mm -hmm. people can go to your website and, um, and check this out, but it's a course that you offer. You can just talk briefly about it if you want. Okay. Actually, I have, there's three courses. Two courses are self-studies. Mm. Uh, one is, they're all the, the freedom of no formula right, one is called the foundation um so that is basic like if somebody just wants to dip their toe a little bit into boundaries but they don't want to commit a whole lot to it they just do the foundation study those have video modules 
that I have created that they'll watch a video module and each module is just like five minutes. Okay. Cause then nobody got time be sitting watching 45 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm just like cut to the chase kind of person. And then it has a, a, like application questions that you answer. Now the next one is self-study is called framework. Instead of six video modules, you'll have 14. And each video module has application questions that that I have designed that helps you to apply what's in my video modules to your real life. Now, the great one is the group course, because that's an eight week course. I cap it at seven people because I want there to be enough people that I can spend my time. I spend 90 minutes a week with the group after they've watched the video modules and answered the application questions and I get to see their answers. So I know ahead of time what they've said mm -hmm. and we sit for an hour and a half in this group and I help each person really to, to go through and comb through the issues and apply them. And then they'll come back the next week and say, I did this or I did that. And here's what happened. And then what happens is I train everybody in the group. So it's not just me saying, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It's the other people in the group that are learning to help each other. Mm -hmm. And then once they graduate from the group, they get to go into a community called the Freedom Yard. So we're in the yard. It's a yard of freedom. And see, everybody in that in that community will have gone through the group course. And so they, you can, anytime you have a problem after the eight week course is done and your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I try to set boundaries, but I'm running into a, a roadblock. I don't know what to do. You just pop online. You, you just go to the, the community and say, hey guys, this happened. And you know that everybody that you're talking to went through the same training that you did. So they'll all pop in and go, hey, hey, nice to see you again. So glad to talk to you again here. Have you considered this or have you considered that? Now, I did recently just offer coaching, uh, boundaries coaching. Mm. Now, I have therapy, obviously, but that's just for people in my state. But coaching is not therapy. Right. It's one-on-one -on -one time with me that say somebody doesn't want to do therapy, they don't have time for therapy, and they don't live in my state, but they really feel like they have some boundary issues, and they just want some one-on-one -on -one time to just kind of cut to the chase and just have some coaching with me. I've recently made that available as well. Oh, this is great because, yeah, everything that we talked about today, people can actually, you know, reach out to you and you can, you know, coach them and, and their specific, um, you know, hurdles that they're going through. Yeah. Oh, Dana, thank you so much. This has been one of my favorite chats that I've had. I It's so meaningful and impactful. And I think that um, I, I'm going to take a lot of this away with me and into my life. And I think everyone else who is listening will too. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was really nice to talk to you. Well, it was great meeting with you. I, I just remembered, I forgot to tell people where to go. Oh yeah. Dana. I like, here's all this stuff, but yeah, danaskags.com. Yeah. Yeah. D-A-N-A-S-K-A-G-G-S.com. And it's got all the stuff is there, whether it's the courses or whether it's a coaching, whatever it's all there. I'll put a link to everything in the, in the show notes and everything so people can find you, but yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. I was excited to talk with you. Bye.